Hello and welcome to another episode of Crystal Myth Podcast with myself, Leslie Anderson, and my co-host Saint Mark of Dornan. Of Dornan. Shit, I'm not, I didn't introduce myself as a saint because I'm not really. But no, you're. I, I would be Saint Anderson of Leslie. Of... <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> Saint, the patron saint of atheists, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> the patron saint of not giving a fuck. I don't know, what would you be patron saint of? I think we've gone over this before in our last. This is, by the way, this is patron saints part two. We'd already, if you want to listen to patron saints part one, then go and find it and listen to that before listening to this. Or you can listen to this and then go back and listen to part one. Yeah, probably won't. I don't care. No, I don't think it will matter what order you listen to them in. But I suppose one then two is is the traditional way to listen to things. But traditional, yeah. I don't know what did would we, it be the patron saint of cheese. I like cheese. Did we not say? Did you say cheese last time? Or I think you may have. I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember. But I do really like cheese. Patron saint of gays. We're not the pope, so we can't decide that. We're not the and pope. And I doubt the pope. I doubt the pope would ever beatify a saint of gay people since they're against that. I don't know if Pope Francis is, but I doubt that his followers or his bishops or his cardinals would agree to that. Yeah, I'd imagine I don't think Pope they're Francis quite there yet. Care, but yeah, the I'm pretty sure Pope Francis would be like, mm, no. Everyone underneath him, like it's a big gay pile. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, the idea of the Pope having. Well, the Pope used to have orgies, so maybe you should bring it back. Maybe. Why doesn't Pope Francis just say that priests can marry? Let's yeah. get the times. Or they can bang at least. Not kids, but adults, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> there is that whole like psychological thing though that actually like some therapy psychotherapists argue that yeah. if priests were allowed to marry, it would actually reduce the levels of pedophilia in the church because quite a lot of people that have like yeah. dangerous fetishy seems like the wrong word but like who fetishize things that like cause harm to others it's right. because they've been so like sexually stifled Repressed. that their brain mm. starts to think of sex and like a it like links it to like harm and danger and causing harm to others and things like that so actually especially like with a lot of older priests because obviously they start like going into the priesthood training when they're like 14 15 or whatever so there's quite a lot of yeah studies that suggest that the level of paedophilia in the church would be massively reduced if they were allowed to marry although obviously you'd still get the like ones who deliberately join it because they're pedos to begin with but yeah but see when i think of like married priests i think of the church of england because the church of england is so weird to me because i forget that it's basically just catholicism but without the pope as head of state yeah it really is because i go down i went to my cousin's christening back in 2000 and I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? They actually went up and had communion and wine and wafers and stuff in the body of Christ. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is totally against what I was brought up. But to, I'm like, what is this? I'm surprised my dad what didn't burst this? into flames. <laughs> I'm surprised my dad didn't burst into flames because he's a staunch proddy. And I'm like, this is very Catholic. Not that I'm, I mean, I'm against any kind of religion, really. But to me, that was just so bizarre. There's but like loads of variety in the cardinals. Anglican church as well, though, because right. they're not like high Anglican and low Anglican. So no low Anglican is basically that it's effectively the same as like Protestant services because they, right. those churches have altered it so much. And then high Anglican is exactly what you just described, like 
effectively, they're still Catholics. They just ignore the Pope. Yeah, but officially the Church of England, is that not what the royal family are head of? So they're yes. kind of Catholic light, even though they're not allowed yeah, to have Yeah, they are. I'm sure that like royal families, <laughs> faith is like high Anglican. Right. It just seems ridiculous, like, because the bishops still all wear the big fancy hats and the gold and all that shit. And they've got, well, they've got bishops. You don't have bishops in the Church of Scotland, do you? No, I don't think so. It's also insane if you think, like, that Prince Charles, King Charles, Charlie Saucer Finger, whatever you want to call King Charles, remember, he's not a prince anymore. King Charles is a dog. Uh, he's like Charlie Sausage Fingers now. I like yep. to be in his head. Oh God has put me in charge of the country because one of my I don't died. even think actually his ancestors, like the current royal family and Henry VIII, are not actually blood related. I think. Yeah, they are. Like, okay, not blood related. They, Obviously, well, all the inbreeding, like technically somehow blood related, but there's not like direct they are, right, right. I can tell you this, right? They are related, but. Segway, they're also related to our royal, the Scottish royal family, because King Henry VIII married his sister Margaret off to King James the third, maybe or the fourth of Scotland. Okay. So she obviously had kids with him, so that's why Mary, like Mary Queen of Scots, Mary Tudor, not Mary Tudor, fucking hell, Mary Stuart and Elizabeth were cousins mm-hmm. because the. Because that's the Tudor connection, because Henry VIII's sister had babies with the King of Scotland. And that's why the Scottish, like King James VI, ended up taking over the English throne, because Elizabeth Tudor, who's obviously the daughter of Henry VIII, didn't have any children. So therefore, the next in line would be her nearest relative, which would be her, basically, her cousin's son. Because that's directed, that that's the next closest in line. So... Basically, so I'm wrong. <laughs> so I'm a big nerd. I mean, as much as I'm anti-royalist, I do know the history. So I'm just like such a nerd when it comes to that. He is technically related to Scottish, but I mean, they're more German. But to be like my great, 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 great cousin. Yeah. Was a Catholic, but then pretended that he didn't agree with just the Pope bit of it so that he could make up his own rules. Therefore, God wants me to be in charge of the country. Seems like a bit of a weird, like, logical leap. I mean, the whole issue of him being, like, the, the divine right of kings doesn't really exist anymore. That's why they chopped off King Charles I's head, because he claimed that he had the divine right to rule, whereas the parliamentarians were like, no, you fucking don't. You don't tell us. Just you, That means you're a ty- tyrant and a dictator. Therefore, we want more power in Parliament to decide. You can't just say you're, you're divinely right to do whatever you want. So that's where the tide turned in terms of the monarchy having the divine right of kings and queens. I'm sure Charlie Shoshish, Charlie Shoshish, Charlie, Charlie Sausage Fingers would love to have the divine right of being a king, but he just has the privilege of birth now. That's all. That's the only reason why he's king. It's because we still have that stupid system in place. Either way, he he's not off. divine by any means. He's just head of the Church of England. Big whoop. Big Doesn't whoop mean divine. No, because if he started claiming he was divine, then we would have to execute him. I'd <laughs> love sorry. it if he started claiming he was divine. To be fair. No, because he'd have to execute him. That would just be really entertaining, <laughs> wouldn't it? Imagine if we still did that. Actually, I don't know. I mean, they've already. Have you noticed that what? after the Queen saying that Camilla? couldn't be queen or queen consort 
that, he's already changed the rules to suit himself. Yeah, yeah. that immediately she was queen consort and now she's yeah. just queen and everything. Yeah, yeah, that's a sign that he's the power's gone to his fucking head. Yep. And yeah, so I think all that time he's been just gathering up all the resentment and that he can like he just wants to be king so badly because he wants to interfere and you're not supposed to interfere in anything like that. So yeah, how he got away with that, I don't know. You'd think the Queen would have put something in place to stop him from putting Camilla's just the Queen. It'll make her a saint next. <laughs> what miracles has Queen Elizabeth made done? I know, I mean he'll make Camilla a saint next. Oh he'll make her a I mean, there's been plenty of hers have been uh, raised to sainthood, two of which I've got as examples. No. Because I looked at like saints that are sinners or were sinners. I like that we. Like that. <laughs> I looked at saints that are not necessarily arseholes, just kind of oddballs. But... Mm. Mm. Well, one of them I think is a massive arsehole, and I don't know if you would agree with me. No offense to. Well, actually, yeah, great offense because I don't. I don't care if you're offended. I, I'm offended by this guy that he's a saint. I feel like you should. Uh, well, I don't know now who so do I want to know him? about the horse first, or do I want to know about him first? Well, I'll tell you about him. Please do. Okay. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> he is called Saint Fiacre. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not quite sure. What's it say? Pronunciation. He is Irish. So Fiatra or Fiacrius is the name of three different Irish saints, but the most famous of which is this cunt, Saint Fiacra of uh, Brule. And he was born in AD 600 in Ireland. I can't really get my head around the, the time of that AD 600 thing. No, it's when I was looking ago. at my saints as well, I was like, I know this is especially considering that I'm <laughs> literally a theologian. For some reason, yeah. every single time I read one, I kept being like, AD, interested. And then I'm like, wait, they're yeah. not going to be a saint if they were born before Jesus. Yeah, exactly. None of them are going to be saints before Christ. That, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> My God, we're so dumb. <laughs> but I did have the same thought, so... Uh, he died in August of 670 in France and he was venerated in the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church. His major shrine is the Cathedral of St. Stephen, uh, the St. St. Marne, France. His feast is on... What? Can you explain to me the feasts? It's just like a sort of celebration day for you. So Christmas is the Feast of Christ. Right. That's, I mean, that's if, if you, to explain it. So, but like, there's so many saints that surely you'd be having a feast every single fucking day of the week because no, of so there's like more saints and days of the year. Patronage applied to you in some way, or if they're particularly special. No, I think it's just if the patronage applies to you. So, like, we have St Andrew's Day would be a feast day because we're Scottish. Christmas Day would be a feast day. Right. For Christians, like St Patrick's Day would be a feast day if you're. So like if they were like the patron saint of, <laughs> I don't know, mental health, then if we were both Catholic, we would celebrate that feast. We would okay. celebrate that feast day because, you know, we're both a bit mental. So his feast day is the 14th of August or the 1st of September. So it's coming up soon. And his attributes are a spade, which I'll explain, the, and a basket of vegetables. His patronage, he's a patron saint of gardeners, herbalists. This is what I want to uh, focus on. Victims of hemorrhoids and venereal diseases, as in sexual transmitted diseases, STDs. That's pretty much it. So he's a saint of gardens and sex diseases. <laughs> Fair play. Somebody needs to do that, don't they? 
Mm, yeah, but there's, there's a dodgy reason for it. So he was also a Catholic priest, an abbot, a hermit, and a gardener of the 7th century. He was famous for his sanctity and skill in curing infirmities. He emigrated from his native Ireland to France, where he constructed for himself a hermitage together with a vegetable. No, that it's not like a cartoon carrot that he was friends with. I'm just imagining him. <laughs> he, he was the same because he brought vegetables to life and gave them. <laughs> I was thrown there by together with a vegetable. That's what I was, I was waiting to hear where that was going. <laughs> or if, is it a vegetable and that he hung around with a guy in a coma or a person in a coma? It was a bit of a vegetable. Or just a bit of a or vegetable. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he had an herb, herb, not herb, I'm not American, herb garden, oratory, and a hospice for travellers. Ah, but only certain types of travellers of a certain oh, gender. He's a Tory. Well, that and a bit of a misogynist. He is the patron saint of gardeners. He, his name, Fiatra, is an ancient pre Christian Irish name. It's been interpreted to donate Battle King or to derive from Fiach, Raven. The name is found in ancient Irish folklore and stories such as Children of Lear. I mean, that sounds quite interesting, but he's not that interesting, unfortunately. He can be present in Miss... Oh, wait. Can't, the site of the Hermitage Garden Oratory and Hospice of St. Fiacre was in a place denominated Brogalum in ancient times and later named Bruel, forming his epithet. However, Bruel was then again renamed St. Fiacre in his honour, which is the name of the present commune. So there's a commune on the same site and a department of um, St. Etmar in France. The commune is located far from and is not the same as the commune. What kind of commune is it? Is it like a monk's commune or a hippie commune? I was all, I, I like that our brains working the same day today. That was going to be the question asked you. Mm-hmm. I guess a monk's commune, but. Fuck yeah. was. Okay, so he, so what do we know about him? He was born in Ireland in the end of the sixth century. He was raised in a monastery where he became a monk. Right, well, who are his parents then? Yeah, although remember when I was in a that he was raised in a monastery because his mum had to give him away. So maybe he was right. like an orphan or abandoned or... You, well, it doesn't say that, but it just says... Born out of wedlock. He was ordained... When he was in a monastery, he was imbibed knowledge of herbal medicine. So he was also ordained a Catholic priest at some point, as you would, being raised in a monastery. And he was elevated to the rank of abbot. In time, he had his own hermitage and perhaps a monastery near St. Fiatra's Well in Kilkenny, Ireland. Crowds flocked to him because of his reputation for his holiness and cures. He then sailed to France in search of greater solitude, so he didn't like all the attention. And he's like, fuck this shit, I'm sick of curing all these cunts. I'm going to go over to France where I can get some peace or whatever. I think it's selfish. He arrived in France in AD 628 and he he was well disposed to him due to kindnesses he and his father's house had received from the Irish missionary. This is the Bishop of Mew who, who took him in, in France. And he granted him a site in Brule in the province of Brie. Mmm, cheese. <laughs> <laughs> 
He approached him and manifested his desire to live a life of solitude in the forest. There he, he built him and manifested his desire. Sounds like he walked up to him and started wanking. <laughs> Give me some land in a forest. Oof. I will fertilize the land and become the patron saint of STDs. He, was, he then built a hermitage in this forest for his dwelling. He got himself a vegetables and herb garden, an oratory in order of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And he also built a hospice in which he cared for travellers. Again, I'll get to that. He lived a life of great mortification. What does that mean, Mark? Mortification as a theologist? I should know. Never heard of it. Mortification. Because mort means death, doesn't it? So I don't understand. Like, if you're mortified, you're... Like embarrassed to the point of death. So maybe is that like humble then? You lived a humble life devoted to prayer. It must be. Fasting. He kept vigils and and he manually cultivated his garden. His fame for miracles was widespread. He cured all manner of diseases by laying on his hands. So he touched people and cured them. Well, I mean, I guess... Does that mean he touched her genitalia for <laughs> get a bit dodgy now? If he had a UTI, then he would have to touch the genitalia. Yeah, he's like, they're coming up to him and going, oh, St. Faker, I've got a real itch, itch in my balls. Can you have a look at them? Here, let me hold your balls. Oh, my God, you have cured me. How long you held my balls for? Uh, about five minutes. I don't know. I don't know how long it takes to put your hands on someone before they come or, no, sorry, before they get uh, cured. <laughs> he died on the 18th of august ad 670 and his body was interred in the local church of the site of his complex which then became his original shrine okay right here's where the legend appears about him saint pharaoh allowed saint faker as much land as he might entrench in one day with a furrow a furrow is a type of it's a type of shovel which is why one of his uh, what they called it attributes is a spade what he did with this magic spade is that he after saying that you can you can have as much as land as you want in one day uh, he brought out this spade and he turned up the earth with the end of his staff toppling trees uprooting briars and weeds briars isn't that where rabbits live what a cunt so he cheated basically and quite rightly a suspicious woman hastened to tell St. Pharaoh that this guy's cheating, he's using magic, and he's beguiled, he must be beguiled, and it's witchcraft, which I quite agree. I mean, yes, it does sound, witchcraft. and no harm, you know, I love a good witch, but it does yeah. sound very witchy. What, that he is a witch? Yeah. Well, St. Pharaoh, however, said, nah, stupid woman, this is a clearly not work of witchcraft, it's the work of God. And it said that uh, thereafter... Uh, because she did a what I call a Brian Lamont and grassed him up, so it provi- prohibited women on pain of severe bodily infirmity from the precincts of his hermitage. <laughs> 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 what do you think of that then, Mark? I mean, I think one, that woman hadn't done anything. Well, I'm saying she hadn't done anything wrong. She was, you're right, she was being an absolute grass. She probably shouldn't have not killed. She shouldn't have witches killed. But, yeah, I don't think you should judge all women on the basis of that one woman. And I definitely don't think you should be like, if a woman comes anywhere near here, I'm going to savagely beat her. Exactly. He also so, sounds like one of those, like, crazy, like, Republican lunatics. Like, yeah. I put a sign up saying no ladies have to come on my land. <laughs> if they do, I'm allowed to beat them till their bones do break. Like... He hates women because that one woman claimed that he was a witch, but he probably fucking what 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 
do you know what annoys me about that is that the other guy took his side and said no it was god not but what about all those women who were using like medicinal herbs and stuff that they were accused of being witches but that wasn't god's work that was satan's work just because they were women and not men i suspect there was some sort of some weird relationship going on between those two yes i think i just so he he cured travelers but you couldn't be a woman you had to be a man to enter his domain and that's why you only that's why you became a friend to people with venereal diseases because he blamed women on like that obviously it was the women's fault that the men got venereal diseases off of them and it wasn't the other way around you know i mean that's a weird yeah that's that's insane yeah this is why i take upset exception to this guy but apparently the exception to the women thing was his sister who was blind and he invited her to the hermitage and had her eat of his vegetables and then therefore cured her of her blindness and then kicked her out for being a woman. (laughs) (laughs) At least he cured her first. Like, that was was nice. I mean, it could be. But I just think the guy's a a bit of a a dickhead, really. There is, by the way, insane Mm -hmm. crossover between your first guy and my first one. Yeah. Not crossover, but very... Yeah, there's several points of the story where I'm like, okay. Same, same, but different. Yeah, you cured blindness, leprosy, tumours by touch. Oh, yeah, a lot of happy endings. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. His patronage was assigned to the ailments he healed. So, like, as I said earlier, if it's only men he's allowing in, he's obviously just wanking off a lot of men because he's touching them to cure them of their venereal diseases. I mean, so I find this very really weird. Is. He's also the patron saint of guard and cab drivers, taxi drivers, because a lot of um, the carriages and the i don't know the 19th century were named or maybe even earlier than that were named fakers and they that's why he then became the so faker is also a french word for taxi hmm. he hates all women which i don't think i think we should take away sainthood for that because francis is saying that you have to be a person who's good to everybody not just men yes so yeah that's my first one uh, so who's the crossover then you're you're talking about? Uh, so I <laughs> looked, as you pointed out to before we did this, at St. Bride mm. again. But yeah, there's quite a bit of, uh, she's not an arsehole, but there is quite a bit okay. of crossover in the story. Like, <laughs> there's similar themes. So as you said, or as I just said, you did point out to me that I've actually already talked about St. Bride twice. Yes. Because I talked about Mama Brigitte, who's the voodoo mm-hmm. reinterpretation of Bride. And then I've yep. also talked about Brigitte herself, who was the Celtic goddess of fertility, mothers and children. But now you're talking um, about the Catholic saint. There. So now I'm going to go for the Catholic interpretation of Brigitte, who's Saint Bride of Kildare. Okay. But the reason I wanted, or that I decided that I wanted to look at her, is because I thought it was weird that I didn't look at her the last time. Because one, I'm clearly obsessed with her, and two, <laughs> like we grew up in her town. <laughs> I thought you were going to like because you pause a lot, Mark. You said we grew up in her. We grew up in her, inside Inside her. her? Wow. She (laughs) enveloped us fully. Yeah, Uh because she's she's bride of Kildare. East Kilbride is called after her. Oh, fuck's sake. I didn't know that. I always wondered what Kilbride meant. So So Kilbride is Kildare. Yeah, so there was the... Bridget of Kildare. Oh, that makes sense. Original. So basically, like, she set up nunneries, kind of like St. Francis of Assisi. So there's like Franciscan monks. There was like the oh, brides of okay. Kildare. 
were yeah. like a branch of nuns. So they set up a church and the town that grew around the church was only built to the east of the church to begin with. And it was East Cobride. Fucking hell, man. That yeah. is, that's cool. So to listeners, East Cobride is, is like a, a new town where where I reside and maybe Mark might eventually. He grew up there as well. And yeah, that's, I never knew that that was in the, the origin of our town. Yeah, it's called Very after cool. Cool, cool. So do tell. So, um, firstly, like, I think her life story is really interesting because it logically has to be made up. Like, there is debate about this, but... She, Therefore, she doesn't qualify as a saint then. <laughs> yeah, she's, like, entirely fictional. Although she's not been unbeatified because, again, because there's debate over whether she oh. existed or not. But the debate... Is she a martyr? Uh, no. Oh, okay. That's an but exception. The, de- the debate doesn't really make any sense because she's... Right based on a pre-existing goddess so yeah but anyway, so according to the story which is confusing because her mum and dad are actual real historical figures <laughs> this is this myth is fact again or fact yeah myth confusion according to if we're taking the life story to be factual even though it doesn't make any sense to take it to be she was born in the town of Kildare and or what is now the town of Kildare in Ireland to dub thatch her father and her mother, Brokseh. Her uh-huh. mother was a Portuguese woman who had been kidnapped by pirates. That's fucking brilliant. I was not I expecting that. <laughs> Off to a good start. The pirates then sold her into slavery in Ireland, where uh, around 445 AD, she met Dub Dubthatch Dub was the chief of the <laughs> Of <Lenster>. the <laughs> He invented Dubstep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and was also the chief of the Leinster, who were a Celtic pagan tribe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who worshipped. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So. Which again? She, that's confusing. Yep. Because she was born of people who worshipped her, but she's not the same person. I'm but confused. She's not the same person. Now. And right. the person that her dad worshipped is a fictional character, and she's real, even though she's based. Uh, anyway, so. Yeah. According to the, the saintly retelling of her life, Dub Thatch and don't want to say his wife because that's what's her, but I've forgotten her name already. Brosech had yeah. three, daughters. three daughters, they had their oldest daughter, Bride. She's Bridie. not the person we're looking at in the story, she grew up oh. to be a, a famed craftswoman. They then had a second daughter who they named Bride. What? That's lazy. Bride and number one, became, bride number two. Still not who we're looking at. She <laughs> became the healer of the Leinster people. And then in four in four fifty AD they had their youngest daughter. Let me guess. Bride. Oh bride. <laughs> wow. Who was a farmer. But she didn't want to be a farmer. People didn't oh, think she should it. be a farmer because she was exceptionally beautiful. And her father wanted to find her a husband perhaps a chief from another tribe to bring two of the tribes together. But Bride prayed every night to the Christian God to have her beauty taken away because she didn't want that. What she actually wanted, and she eventually plucked up the courage to tell her father this, is that she didn't want to be a wife because she wanted to follow in the footsteps of local celebrity St. Patrick, which is where she got the idea of praying to the Christian gods too. She wanted to become a Christian none and look after sick poor and elderly people and children to her surprise her father agreed to this so she left her family to join a convent eventually she was so successful in her nundum that she formed her own abbey which was the sisters of 
Hilton. but I didn't go there. Oh. And then, as I already said, that then led to several convents in Ireland, and then that spread out into convents in Scotland as well. She the also set up of- Ireland's first school of art because she thought it was really important for everybody to be well versed in art and craft. Is that what she's saying of then? She is. She, she's saying of the arts. arts. And crafts. <laughs> she also. So I'll tell you about some of her miracles. All right. Which again are all very witchy. So she was known to be able to make unyielding cows yield milk. Apparently a miracle. When she was farming. So she was it. able to Jesus it up, as I put it in my notes. Uh, she fed a large number of orphans on one occasion and a large number of lepers on another occasion with a very small amount of veg that was only enough to feed one person. But she managed to basically keep oh. mystic, magically chopping it until there was more. One of my saints also Jesus it up in a way. And she's a lady, obviously. Okay, yeah. It's a popular, a popular mm. pastime. Mm-hmm. That's her boring miracles. Here's her good ones. So <laughs> she once asked the king of the area outside of Leinster for some land in order to build one of her nunneries. And the king laughed in her face. When he did this, she smiled and said, will you give me, again, this kind of sounds a bit like your story, will you give me as much land as my cloak that I'm wearing will cover? The king agreed. Oh. Oh, indeed. Thinking at a silly request. Bride then shouted four of the nuns she was training over and gave each a corner of her cloak to hold on to. She then told them to run at full speed, facing away from each other. They ran at full speed and the cloak began to grow and grow and grow, covering acres upon acres of land. Right. So she had a magic expanding cloak. Yep. Oh, bride, yelled the frightened king. Witchcraft. I love this. This is a quote from the actual story I was reading. Oh, bride, yelled the frightened king. What are you about? What are you about, you witch? What are you about? (laughs) I am covering all of your land, replied bride. To punish you for your stinginess. You say that in such a sarcastic way. Like, (laughs) So she then technically had all of his land in order to build nunneries and a school of art and so on. Nice. Another one of her miracles, so before she became a nun, when she, just before she was leaving to become a nun, a creepo in her village creepo? told her that she shouldn't be leaving to become a nun. He said this was because her, and this again is a quote, her beautiful eyes meant that she would be with a man whether she liked it or not. Okay, that's fucked up. The creep then began to approach Bride in order to try and like force her effectively right. like round the back of a hut. So yeah. Bride gouged out her eyes. Her own eyes. Uh huh. And put them in his hand with blood dripping from her fingers and wow, said okay. to him, Here, they're your beautiful eyes now. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's so metal. <laughs> <laughs> She's a right sarcastic bitch. I love it. She is. Like, I'm a big fan. Uh, When she woke up the next day, her eyes were back in her head. The man obviously was permanently mentally scarred, but he also was a rapist, so deserved it. Seeing who's wasted on her, I'll tell you. She could have been a queen. She should have been. Uh, Or perhaps a goddess, which she actually was before she was apparently the daughter of a man that worshipped the goddess. Yeah. She also performed at least one safe abortion at her oh, nunnery. That's uh, so women were able to go to her for her to lay her hands upon their belly and safely remove uh, unwanted fetuses. 
Hold on, no, but that is totally against yeah. the... Yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's how think? the Brigged Alliance got its name, because the Brigged Alliance called themselves after... Although they technically called themselves after the goddess, but they called themselves after the goddess because they're a religious organisation that supports people that need um, emergency abortions and after-abortion care and things like that. And they called themselves the Brigged Alliance because she is a Catholic saint who performed abortions. I've got a theory, Mark. I think that she wasn't really a Christian per se, but she only said she was so she could gain her freedom to pursue her life as a sort of saint for women. Yeah, I mean, she did, if she was real, she did pretty cool stuff. Like the yeah. idea that she was going around actually helping women and setting up educational institutes and like but was it only women she helped because it is nunneries that she's opening does she ever help men or is she like the the guy that i just spoke about and does not like well i mean it sounds to me like she despises men she could be the patron saint of lesbians i guess she could yeah i mean this is a woman who'd rather gouge her own eyes out than be touched by a man i mean to be fair he is a creepo so i don't as, you, as you say that's such a metal move I absolutely yeah. that's my favorite story about her that you he's have like my eyes in your eyes are so beautiful that somebody has to have you and she's like no just have my eyes instead <laughs> like <laughs> there you go here rub them on yourself <laughs> also <laughs> find it really interesting so other thing about her story that i'm like that's not very catholic which obviously comes from the Briggs story but has never been removed so right part of the myth of her feast day is that every year on her feast day the serpent of regrowth which who is a messenger of the horned one re-emerges from the underworld to allow all those who celebrate the feast of bride to have good regrowth throughout their year i like the 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 horned one yeah (laughs) i'm like I, I, i there's no negativity to it. It's just like, yeah, yep, that snake that works for Satan comes up and does his thing, which is really positive. <laughs> Yay! Ew, Satan. So, yeah, I mean, no no negatives about her. I just really like her story. Uh, again, apparently, where she a real person? She died age 75, which was quite old for the time in which she was living. I think that's a bit of a myth as well, that people people think that uh, back in those days that people died very early I, I think it's a misconception a lot of people lived to an old age back then so it wasn't that uncommon but it's just a perception people have of medieval times that um people I suppose because like the infant mortality rate was really high so that would make yeah. the average death like the Not average quite. death a lot lower than if you know what I mean like you were really likely to die as a baby but I suppose that didn't mean that if you lived past being a baby you were really likely to die young mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense Anyway, okay. that's my story. Is there not? Well, it makes me kind of proud to be living in a town called East Kilbride then, if it's named after her. Yeah, I'm glad that her town's called after her. Like, cool. And that the horned one comes up every year. <laughs> yeah, we should definitely um, <laughs> celebrate the feast day and see if the. When is her feast day? Uh, for some reason, I didn't write it down. I just wrote her oh. feast day. We'll find out, Mark, when her feast okay. day is, and then we'll need to mark it as a special occasion for the horned one. I'll check right now. Um, we'll, find out what um, we need to prepare for our feast day. I mean, is there certain foods on feast days that you have? For there the are, yeah. Is there? is there? Okay. Well, uh, first of February is our feast day. So I have another lady saint here called Pelagia, and yeah. she was known as Pelagia the harlot. 
Ooh, I like her already. The thing is, I, I, I get annoyed by these things because I'm quite a sex positive person. And these women, there's two of them, right? There's Pelagia and then there's Mary of Egypt. And both of them love to bang. But yet they're considered saints because they gave up banging oh. to live a life of like a life of solitude, which again I'll get round to. But it really annoys me because why can't you just be the saint of banging? <laughs> After all, if we don't bang, we're not going to be around to discuss these people. That is very true. Well, anyway, can you tell me, Mark, where is Antioch and does it still exist? Ooh, uh, it sounds kind of. Grecian, so I'm going to guess like somewhere near ancient Greece. Does it still exist though? Mm, Is it like Babylon that's now Iraq? Right, this is annoying because the only thing I know about Antioch is the holy hand grenade of Antioch from (laughs) from the fucking Monty Python's Holy Grail. Antioch, uh, right, I'll just fucking look it up then. Let's see. I just like the name Antioch. Oh, it was on the Orontes and was a Hellenistic Greek city founded by Seleucus Nicator in 300 BC. And it was one of the greatest and most important Greek cities of the Hellenistic period. But what is it now? Oh, the modern city of Antakya in Haiti, province of Turkey, was named after the ancient city. Well, that doesn't mean necessarily where it is. No, that doesn't mean No, it is. It's in Turkey. Oh, it was Greek, but now it's in Turkey and it's mostly buried. Antioch was founded near the fourth century BC, and it was one of oh, he was one of Alexander the Great's generals. Okay, well there we go. It's it was Greek, but now it's it's sort of located in Turkey, but like like Babylon's now in Iraq and Persia is now Iran. It changes over time. So she was known as a Christian saint and a hermit in the 4th or 5th century. Her feast day is celebrated on the 8th of October, originally in common with Saints Pelagia the Virgin. See, that's another thing. You don't necessarily, sometimes the, the, the saint, you don't necessarily have to be like a saint. You're, you're denoted a virgin or a martyr by the Catholic Church. Imagine just being solely remembered for being a virgin. Yeah, that's, that's weird. Like, yeah. <laughs> she died as a result of extreme asceticism oh my god what the fuck get out Ugh. Ugh, sorry a big thing just flew in my window what sort of a big thing um, oh. a, a daddy long legs and I'll just I'll get it out eventually I'll, I'll, I'll shut my window and then I'll get it right okay I'll need to edit that bit out <laughs> <laughs> so she died as a result result of extreme asceticism now do you know what asceticism is mark have you heard yes, of that term when you show your devotion to christ by like cutting things that you need out of your life so like you might not move anymore or you might not mm. eat anymore or you might not drink any more water correct because it, it emaciated her to the point she could no longer be recognized which i think is complete fucking madness like why would you do that to yourself? And it's also common. Once she even thing. stated she was doing it for Christ, maybe she just had an eating disorder, and people were like, "She's doing it for Jesus. She loves Jesus." <laughs> Sorry, it, it touched my head. <laughs> <laughs> it touched my head. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, no, tear on your eyes out and throw at it. <laughs> 
monks used to like Buddhist monks would do it to uh, to the point where they would bury themselves alive, or they would I think we discussed this where they would eat certain amounts of like honey or something to mummify themselves from the inside to the point where they were just self mummification and they were buried in a like a figure of themselves and then they were buried in a Buddha like led an ascetic life realized that it was wrong set up his religion saying everybody should follow the middle path and now there's lots of people that again are like i'm not eating and i'm doing it for the buddha like but the buddha didn't eat and then said that it was wrong for him not to eat and that everybody should practice a middle path and make sure that you eat enough to keep yourself healthy it's a bit like also when there's a self-flagellation type thing that people do yes for, for jesus or they want to punish themselves for God. I just don't understand. And it, it's not just like, it's interesting that, that it was a bit of a fad, I would say a fad or a trend at, at a certain time when she was alive, uh, around about that time, the fourth or fifth century, whereby a lot of people started doing that, not just women, but men as well, would want to lock themselves away and not eat anything and, and just waste away for gods. It's just strange. They, she was venerated in the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Syriac Orthodox Church, and the Armenian Apostolic, uh, Apostolic Church. Mm, she's sainted it or not. She is sainted it or not. <laughs> 8th of October is her feast day, Tuesday after the fourth Sunday of the Exaltation of the Cross in the Armenian Apostolic Church. Right, well, let's find out about her. So she is attributed to James or Jacob, the deacon of the Church of Heliopolis, which is modern Baalbek. I don't know where that is, but you can look it up. He states that Margarita, which was her name before she became Pelagia, she had a stage name, which was Margarita. Margarita! And she was a foremost actress and a prominent harlot. I mean, what is a harlot? She just liked to bang. Maybe she was gorgeous. She was a beautiful actress. And she, during one of the city's church councils, she passed by on a donkey surrounded by her entourage and a worldly crowd. And she was perfumed and immodestly bareheaded. God forbid she wore hair. Yeah, she was like really glam. And she had, she wore like clothes where you could see the outlines of her body were clearly visible. And she wore gold cloth, pearls and precious stones, which ran from her bare shoulders to her feet. She totally slayed. Most of the favours were shamed into looking away. But the Bishop Nonis, I'm going to say nonce, but it just sounds very close to nonce. Bishop Nonsy. The Bishop Nonsy stared openly at her and confessed himself delighted. And he probably was having a massive chub downstairs. If that was a bride, she'd have ripped one of her tits off and thrown it and been like, there you go, rub that. Yeah, he's a fucking great. <laughs> Don't look at me. Look at these. <laughs> <laughs> so mocking his fellows, he condemned them both and himself for taking less care of their souls than she had of her body. So he was quite impressed by her bootylicious, gorgeous figure. And he says, uh, you, you don't even pray enough then the universe. I know it's weird at a bishop like a minute. I don't know why a bishop I would do that. Like, girl, and you <laughs> should all be ashamed because you don't pray enough to have banging titties and amazing arts like <laughs> amazing arts like her. <laughs> so she appeared at his next Sunday sermon, and Nonis's sermon on hell and the goodness of paradise prompted her to repent. 
she had two of she had slaves, which is pretty bad. Uh, she had two of her slaves trail Nonis to his residence and then wrote him on wax tablets calling herself sinful and a servant of the devil but seeking mercy from God who came down to earth not for the sake of the righteous but to save sinners. Nonis replied to the anonymous request that God knew her and her past and that he would receive her but only in the presence of other bishops. What does he mean by that? I think he wants to bang her to be honest with you. He clearly wants to bang her. I mean he basically said he wants to bang her. She went to the Basilica Basilica of St. Julian to see them. When Nonis demanded surety that she would not return to her former life, she fell to the ground and threatened that if she were refused admission to the church, all her future sins would be held against him at his judgment. The Archbishop was informed and sent the deaconess Romana to clothe her in the baptismal gown. They had deaconesses. I didn't think they were allowed women. Also, the Deaconess Romana is a fantastic name. I want it to is, be like, that, could that be my drag like stage name? <laughs> yeah, it should be. Nonis took her confession and baptised Margarita under her birth name, Pelagia, with Romana serving as her godmother. Did, right, this is awesome, right? So shortly after this happened, the devil arrived to complain what he was driven off when Pelagia made uh-huh. the sign of the cross and breathed upon him. She was like, <laughs> too much garlic. So that was like, oh, fuck this, right, I'm going. On the third day. I'm going, but I'll be back for a bright feast day when I famously come up on the snake. He did come back. On the third day, Pelagia directed her steward to inventory her possessions. She then turned them over to Nonis, who dispersed them to the widow's orphans and the poor of the city. She freed her slaves, male and female, taking their golden torques off with her own hands. She then began, you like this, she then began living with the Deaconess Romana. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I, I'd imagine they would rub oil on each other and, yeah, and get all froggy. And <laughs> <laughs> get all froggy. Froggy. The night before it came time to remove her back. This is sounding erotic as fuck now. It really is. The night before it came to time to remove her baptismal gown, she stole out of the dark, wearing one of Nonis's sheetons <laughs> with Romana. She headed for Jerusalem, where she built a cell on the Mount of Olives. I feel like this is very, like, this, yeah, this is lesbian erotica. Like, mm. the fact that Nonsy was all like, oh, none of I the guys to work with her because you won't be able to resist her hotness, so I'm going to get Famous saucy sex pot lesbian, the bishopess. What was her name? No, the deaconess Ramona. The deaconess, yeah. <laughs> Knows how to handle this, and she's like, "Yes, I will take her in hand." But get this: there's some um, trans transgenderism here. Amazing! I'm loving this story. Right, so she stole. I'm saying that. I'm assuming it's going to be positive. They're not going to like kill a trans women, are they? No, actually, the opposite. So she headed for Jerusalem. And she lived there for three or four years, disguised herself as a male recluse and eunuch under the name Pelagias, not Pelagia. She then, I mean, that's not a very good, like, pen name, is it? Like, to no. disguise yourself. It's like me. Well, I mean, I got it easy because I'm Leslie and I could just change my name to Leslie because it's a unisex name. So I could be either all. It doesn't really matter. What is it? I'm she... in a wig trying to disguise myself. It would be like if someone was like, oh. What's your name? I'm like, Mark. 
case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus, but Marquez. <laughs> so eventually she died as a, apparently as a result of extreme asceticism, as we discussed. She pretty much didn't eat or anything like that. She'd emaciated herself to the point she could no longer be recognised. According to the Orthodox tradition, Pelagia was buried in her cell. Upon discovery that the renowned monk had been a woman, the holy favours tried to keep it a secret. But the gossip spread and her relics drew pilgrims as far off as Jericho and the Jordan Valley. So the the men decided, well, we, we can't let this get out that she was disguised as a man. But the people around her, the, the townspeople said, no, she's actually like a good person and a saint. So why are you trying to hide her? Because she wanted, pretended to be a man. Yeah. The story appeared in the Greek Mania, um, it significantly omits dates, and on eight occasions the name of the Archbishop under whom Nonis served. Everybody and that's the story. That. Uh, enjoyed that. Yeah, there's also another saint, she's also associated with another saint called Saint Marina, which is the Latin equivalent of Pelagia, and she was another bride to disguise herself as a monk, and her case didn't escape, didn't escape her unwanted marriage. Aspects of their stories were apparently combined with accounts of Mary Magdalena, biblical accounts of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, and of Jesus and various women in the New Testament. So, whatever. Margaret the Virgin. <laughs> <laughs> She's also confused or completely... Margaret the Virgin just seems like something you would say if you were bullying someone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's what I mean. There's a whole list of just people who are just classed as virgins in the Catholic roster of venerated people they're not quite saints they're just virgins like that's yeah like that's an achievement i don't think anyway she did she was far from i'm a bit disappointed in her that she gave up her life of an actress and a harlot and just decided to become an anorexic transgender monk yeah (laughs) and die doesn't say what she's this patron saint of though so i don't actually know trans men yeah there you go yeah like i was saying asceticism why why are they doing that and yeah, um, so, again like even though i said like it's weird if you're uh-huh. but jesus also wouldn't agree with that so it's weird to be like well jesus so was jesus that considered one as well because didn't he go out and starve himself in the desert for 40 days and 30 nights or 30 days and 40 well fucking hell was it 40 days and 40 nights yeah but that's because he was going through a hard time emotionally <laughs> oh god bless <laughs> i go through a hard time emotionally but i don't go and like fly out to the desert and become a hermit but i don't think it's like in both the story of jesus and the story of the buddha i don't think the bits about them living a life with like not of like nothingness like neither of the stories are like they were doing that to combat the negativeness it's like that happened because there was lots of negativeness in their life and then they realized that isn't the way people should live so again it's then weird that people are like so i'm going to follow that example like they don't want you to do that well there was a, a time in the middle east where they were it was inhabited by thousands of male and female christian aesthetics hermits and anchorites including saint anthony the great otherwise known as saint anthony of the desert saint mary of egypt which i'm going to cover and saint si- simeon stylites is that not one you were talking about uh, yeah i'm going to talk about saint simeon Steinitz. right well now that i brought him up let's know more about him then apparently he was a desert father part of the desert fathers and De- desert mothers cult he's 
number four on my uh, Crazy Saints list. Okay, well, let's hear more about it. Do you want me to do number five first, even though he's not one of the Desert Fathers, just because uh, okay. I feel like I want to do them in order. But then right, we can come on. back to our three, two, one. Okay, yeah. so my, my fifth uh, Crazy Saint is Saint Philip of Neri, uh-huh. who was the as the patron saint of laughter. <laughs> that was fake. <laughs> <laughs> that was genuine. <laughs> he was a uh, apparently lived his entire adult life with a full beard but only on one side of his face and every morning when he got dressed he tied a fox tail around his waist so it looked like he had his own fox's tail so he was a fucking furry yeah, but yeah he was an early furry he pretty much yeah he has a weirdo i hate furries <laughs> they're so weird and uh, then creepy. Uh-huh. saint simeon of stylite or sorry saint simeon of Stylite, who was my number four, is yep. he's my number four because his weirdness is his ascetic choice. So he chose to show his devotion to Christ by sitting on top of a small, sorry, sitting on a small platform about five foot by five foot that was balanced on top of a large pillar in Syria, or in what is now Syria. Was uh, for 37 time? years, he died <laughs> on the platform. That's out there for 37 I, I, years. I'm assuming, yeah, but how did he survive for that long? Because People unless that's what the water, right? And he just sat up there and like pissed and shot himself and slept Wait. on it for 37 years until he died. There must have been a massive pile of shit under that. Yeah, I imagine there would have been. Some cunt's got to clean that up. That's really bad. And again, like Saint Philip of Neri isn't a weirdo because he was doing things for Jesus. He's just weird because mm. you know there weren't a lot of buddies back then. Saint Simeon, Sim, I can't say it, Simeon. Just say uh, Saint Simon. Simon. Saint Simon, the stylus. Um, the stylus? <laughs> like, yeah, he's weird because, again, it's like, but Jesus, what, what, I don't understand. You're, you're doing this for Jesus. Do you think Jesus wants you to sit on a big platform and shout on people? Is he, like the, is he like the, what's that guy that used to lock himself in a box and stuff? David Blaine. He's a David Blaine. That was Blaine. exactly my thought when I was reading about him. Of days. And Jesus, I don't think, was impressed. <laughs> he, if anything, he'd probably be one of the ones that try and knock him off the podium for a laugh. <laughs> Which I, I pretty much think people would try and do. I would. I mean, he managed to stay on it for 37 years, so. Well, I mean, you get people like... Uh, uh, Indian guys, what they call babas or something, and they hold their hands up for. There's a guy that didn't put his hand, his arm down, for like 40 years, and it went all like spindly and stuff, and he couldn't actually move it anymore. Now that also seems unadvisable, but yeah, <laughs> or someone who just grows their hair and refuses to cut it, or their nails for Jesus, or doesn't wash. Again, there's all, all kinds of ones. Jesus doesn't actually want. <laughs> I mean, he never specifically said that in the Bible, did he? That he No, that's true. But he do didn't that. in any way imply that he would like people not to cut their nails or wash. <laughs> okay, right. Well, what, where are we? Number four? No. Uh, yeah, so he's number four. Right. What's number three? Number three. Yeah, count down. Let's go. Uh, number three is the one that uh, I told you about before we started recording and you thought that I made it up. And laughed oh, yeah, Christina Aguilera. St. Christina Aguilera. Yeah. Uh, St. Christina the Astonishing. Wow. So St. Christina the Astonishing is the patron saint of Millers. Oh, that's not really that astonishing. I thought she was going to be like a magician or something. 
And an interesting fact about her is that she believed that she could smell sin and mm. that it was a re- rancid, repugnant smell. And there were so <laughs> many sinners in the world that she didn't like to move on paths or through fields. She preferred to move by just... climbing from tree to tree. She's just a woman from chewing the fat that goes around saying, <laughs> I smell shite. <laughs> Except that she didn't smell shite because she escaped it in the trees. What a loon. Indeed. Number two is Saint Simeon Solus. Never S- Simeon. Mm-hmm. Right. So Saint Simeon Solus was so this one really confused me. So he was known to, he was a saint because he was known to be a great and kind man, right? Uh-huh. Part of the reason that he was known to be so great and kind is because he sorry, the cats decided that he's going to sit on this bit of paper, is that he performed as many social and charitable services for others as he could at all times. Which is fair enough. That's nice. He did this. So what's so weird about it? While taking his dog everywhere with him. However, his dog died fairly early in him becoming a monk and he dragged the dead dog behind him throughout (laughs) the entirety of the rest of his life. He so eventually also, it was like a skeleton. Was yeah, so he was dragging around a rotten and eventually weirdo. He also, which again confused me because I'm like, he performed lots of good social and charitable services, pelted any women who came anywhere near him with handfuls Here of nuts that he carried in his pockets. <laughs> Imagine people did that these days. Get away from me. Some Not any women who came anywhere near him, though, like someone trying to make a pass at him. Literally just any women who came anywhere near him. So, yeah, he should team up with that that um, Irish guy that I spoke yeah. about. <laughs> they could uh, chase women off together. Well, one likes to hold nuts and one likes to throw nuts, so. <laughs> <laughs> and then number one, Saint Margaret Mary, who I didn't know anything about. Didn't know she, she sounds like your auntie. Yeah, I think she's like quite a famous. Like lots of mother superiors are called after her. Oh yeah, Saint Margaret Mary, I suppose. Yeah, from like uh, Sister Act. So before St. Margaret Mary became a nun, she was, I was going to say she was French. She was French after she became a nun. <laughs> <laughs> but she was a French germaphobe uh, and bloodophobe. Don't know the proper term for that. So she was terrified of her own blood, of anybody else's blood. She was right. constantly terrified of germs. Basically, she had really severe OCD. Okay. However, after she saw not Jesus, but the sacred heart of Jesus. Oh, yeah. So the sacred heart of Jesus appeared before her. She decided to turn her life to God and become a nun. She showed her devotion to Christ by immediately on seeing his heart, carving the name of Christ into her left breast. Okay, that's very um, emo of her, isn't it? Like attention. Yeah, like teenagers that cut themselves and cut like raging or sad into their arms or slave or something. Yeah. Also, she, I mean, it's very like uh, attention-seeking emo when you hear the mm. next bit. She oh, okay. also explained to anyone who would listen that she was no longer afraid of anything dirty and that she wished to prove it. She proved this to people regularly she by cleaning much. any dirt in their homes, on their possessions or on themselves with her own body. For example, she might dip her hair in water and clean dirt off of other people's clothing with her hair. Right. OK, that's really fucking weird. One of the most famous examples of this is that, <laughs> this is disgusting, when <laughs> visiting an ill friend who no one would visit because they were worried of the affliction that she may have, her friend vomited over the meal they were eating 
Oh no. And Margaret Mary consumed the meal and the vomit. <laughs> She's like the Steve O of <laughs> That's something like you were doing jackass or something like that. Ew. But that is well. So and yeah, she's the uh, weirdest saint I've ever read about. But why is she a saint? Because she witnessed the Sacred Heart of Christ. She's one of the ones that is uh-huh. not for the vomit eating. Uh, right. She's one of the ones that technically isn't a saint anymore, uh, which is confusing because again, lots of nuns are called after her. Why isn't she technically a saint then? Because she didn't perform enough miracles to be a saint. The, who made, who made only, her a saint? I don't know. I didn't write that down. Oh, okay. But there was that was the the other thing that we were going to talk about that we found out reasons that people aren't saints anymore so one of them is that you haven't performed the correct amount of miracles so you might have been made a saint by a pope in the past right but actually well, if you haven't performed the right amount of miracles you don't get to stay a saint so her only actual miracle was seeing the mm. disembodied sacred heart of christ okay well they do chop and change the rules to suit themselves i think because they say that you have to commit two miracles and that's how they managed to canonize the Pope John Paul II and some other Pope, like the 10th or John the 10th or something like that, or the 12th, I think he was called John the 10th, the 12th, because they had to prove that they performed or there was two miracles associated with them. Um, and yeah, you're right, some of them only performed one miracle, but then they became saints because they were killed as a result of like being martyred. But then there was some that were killed not because they were martyred, but because of like, like, the other ones that you mentioned that just starved themselves to death or, or things like that but were considered that they, they did like maybe one miracle or something there's various there's various tiers of like what kind of saint you are you're not necessarily a saint or you're revered or a servant of god servant of god is the lowest form like that's how it starts that's how you you're on the road to becoming a saint is like so it used to be that you'd have to wait at least 50 years 50 years before someone would consider you as being a saint you had to be dead 50 years then that got commuted to just five but the exception is john paul ii who was only made a saint like or considered to be a saint three three years after his death it's also the whole it like, was a bit silly because like what mm-hmm. is a medical like when they're saying margaret mary actually only performed one medical and like well seeing the disembodied heart of christ isn't a medical well i think it's pretty weird I mean, seeing the disembodied—no, that's yeah. Seeing the disembodied heart of Christ is miraculous, but it's not hard performing a miracle. But it happened to her. So when you consider the was it Fatima who mm-hmm. saw the Virgin Mary apparitions of the Virgin Mary, didn't they look to? Is she a saint now? I think. Yeah, yeah she might yes. be. So like recently, she was canonized, and she didn't conjure up the Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary just appeared to her, so that that's considered a medical. But I, I don't know. I guess there's. You no, know, like I like, just find medicals. that weird. I'm like, if it's if, yeah, if I do as well. Saying, like that you performed a medical. I'm like, well, you have to truly, you have to perform to have performed. Well, speaking of performing, I've got another uh, fallen. <laughs> what you call fallen? There's Mary of Egypt. She's from Egypt, funnily enough. And this is one of the earliest ones because she was born in the year 344 in the province of Egypt and died in the year 421. So she, she lived to a good old age, I suppose. Her attributes are a chalice, skull, loaves of bread, and she's a patron saint of chastity, warfare against the flesh, deliverance from carnal passions, which is ironic since she was like the biggest whore in Egypt, uh, demons, deliverance from fever, skin diseases, and temptations of the flesh. 
And her feast day is the 1st of April. That's the Eastern Orthodox. And the 5th of, uh, of, of April, which is Sunday of Great Lent. The Roman Catholic, her saint day is the 2nd of April. And the Coptic Orthodox, which is Christians in Egypt, is the Parmuti 6th. I don't know what that is. Is that an Egyptian day or something? Who knows? Who knows, right. So... She was one of these de- desert mothers in the end, um, with these people who go out to be hermits and things like that. Primary source of information on St. Mary of Egypt is in the Vita, written of her by Sotheronius, Patriarch of Jerusalem. Most of the information in this section is taken from that source. So she was also known as Maria Egyptusia and was born somewhere in the province of Egypt at the age of, I mean, that could be anywhere. At the age of 12, she ran away from her parents to the city of Alexandria. There she lived an extremely desolate life. I'd say she probably lived life to the full, to be fair, right? In her vita, it states that she often refused money offered for her sexual favours as she was driven by an insatiable and an irrepressible passion. So she just loved to bang. She didn't even bang for money. She just did it because she loved it. She was wanting to just you know, have lots of sex, basically. Maybe she was a sex addict. Uh, She could have been. And she mainly lived by begging, supplemented by spinning flax. After 17 years of hooring, (laughs) not really hooring, she just banged a lot of people. She probably banged everyone in Egypt. She travelled to Jerusalem for the great feast of the exaltation of the Holy Cross. She undertook the journey as a sort of anti-pilgrimage. Like, haha, this is fucking hilarious. I'm going to troll all you cunts for being squares stating that she hoped and this is my favorite part she hoped to find in the pilgrim crowns at jerusalem some even more hot partners to sate her lust she's brilliant <laughs> yeah she paid for her passage by offering sexual favors to other pilgrims <laughs> she briefly continued her habitual lifestyle in jerusalem so she ba- she went on this boat to go to jerusalem and seduced every single person on there I mean, what does that say about the pilgrims that they all agreed to bang this chick? Yeah, I like that doesn't that make like, them very holy, terrible does it? That she was, I'm like, but well, all the other people were there as pilgrims to begin with, so surely yeah. they are worse than her. I'd say they are. And also, I don't think she's doing anything wrong, so they're definitely worse than her. I mean, she's just them. It's not like they had a choice if they want to be chaste and holy in that. Well, they're clearly not because they want to bang this chick. Mm-hmm. So they, um, she went to when she got to Jerusalem she tried to enter the church of the holy sepulchre for the celebrations but she was barred by an unseen force it's like there was a holy force field that kept her out because she had so much sexy time her, her sexual energy barred her from the the church that's mad and so she realized this was because of her impurity which i find offensive she was struck with remorse and upon seeing an icon of the theotokos which is the virgin mary outside the church she prayed for forgiveness and promised to give up the world become an aesthetic she attempted again to enter the church and this time was able to go in after venerating the relic of the true cross she returned to the icon to give thanks and heard a voice telling her if you cross the jordan you will find glorious rest so she immediately went to the monastery of saint john the baptist on the banks of the river jordan where she received absolution and afterwards holy communion the next morning she crossed the jordan eastwards and retired to the desert to live the rest of her life as a hermit and penitence she took with her only three loaves of bread she had bought 
And once she had eaten these, lived only in what she could find in the wilderness, which I guess wouldn't be much. Approximately one year before her death, she recounted her life to Zosimus of Palestine, who encountered her in the desert. When he unexpectedly met her in the desert, she was completely naked and almost unrecognisable as human. Okay. <laughs> there is a picture of her, an illustration of her from the 15th century, and she does look like she's really hairy. Like, somehow in the desert, she's grown a lot of hair. Like, I guess if you don't shave your legs or whatever, yeah. and you grow your armpit hair long, and your hair doesn't get cut, then you would be, like, quite hairy, but <laughs> to the point of being not human. And she ended up with, like, great... She's often depicted as a grey-haired, um, emaciated old old lady. Uh, so he, um, he... She asked him to meet her at the banks of the Jordan on Holy Thursday so she could narrate her life story to him, which I imagine would be quite a sexy story, since she, how, many she, how many people she banged. Um, yeah. <laughs> this guy's gonna get quite a, like an excellent a audiobook, deal. but in person. Yeah. When he fulfilled her wish, she this is a Jesusy bit. She crossed the river to get to him by walking on the water and received Holy Communion, telling her to meet her again in the desert the following Lent. I think she banged him. The next year, Zosimus went to the same spot where he first met her some twenty days' journey from his monastery. There, unfortunately, he found her lying dead. Oh. An inscription written in the sand next to her head stated that she had died the very night he had given her communion. So she had, I think she had one last bang and went out with a bang, so to speak. <laughs> her incorrupt body miraculously transported to that spot. He buried her body with the assistance of a passing lion. That amused me to the way. <laughs> Not what I expected you to say there. I know, I didn't expect that either. It's like this lion just comes across this guy burying the women and he's like, here, she wants some help with that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> the lions aren't just predators. On returning to his monastery... <laughs> They're not just predators. They also help you bury elderly <laughs> Lions like to bury old hooters, yeah. Uh, she wasn't a hooter, though, because she didn't take money for her sex. She freely no, gave it. She was in no way a sex she should be the patron saint of free love yeah. and hippies, I'd say. On returning to his monastery, he related her life story to the other brethren, and they all had a good old wank, and it was preserved <laughs> among as an oral tradition until it was written down <laughs> by Sofra. And that's the story of um, Mary of Egypt. She is an icon. You know what? The bit that I didn't like in the story, I feel like, isn't true then, because what? if it was an oral tradition story until it was eventually written down, I bet that somebody at the monastery just added in the like, and then she was really sad about it because she couldn't walk into the temple and she decided that she loved Jesus and then she went to live in the desert. I feel like just take that bit out. Like she had a mad party lifestyle and then she went and lived in the desert and had a chill yeah, lifestyle. Yeah, I think, I mean, at least this woman lived. She yeah. had a lot of, she did a lot of partying and I'd imagine after all that partying, you'd probably just think, well, I've had enough. I've had enough joy in my life and pleasure that I'll just settle down in the desert. Yeah, because yeah. I'm probably too old to bang anyone now, apart from that bishop, but maybe just fantasised about it. Yeah, I agree. So she's often depicted as a deeply tanned, emaciated old woman with unkempt grey hair, either naked or covered by her long hair or by the mantle she borrowed from Zosimus. She's often shown with three loaves of bread she bought before her final journey into the desert. Well, I like her. I like her too, a great deal. 
In Italy, she became associated with the patronage of fallen women, much like Mary Magdalena, whom, to whom similar traits were associated. And finally, my last saint is Saint Drogo of <laughs> Saint Drogo. He's a patron saint of unattractive people. Okay. And he was Flemish. Uh, he was born in the first half of the 20th, 12th century in a small village of Epinoy in northern France. His father had died before he was born and his mother suffered complications, died during an attempted caesarean section. The baby survived, as in Drogo. The baby would grow up to become a Saint Drogo, patron saint of ug- ugly people or untracted people. He was sent to live with relatives and grew up a happy young boy. Before he was a teenager, he somehow learned the cause of his mother's death. He was fucking distraught. He felt really guilty. And it's not his fault. He, no. he didn't have to be born, but he felt guilty because his mum got cut open in order for him to live. So he spent hours in prayer begging forgiveness. When he became of age and received a tidy sum and inheritance, he piously gave away all of it to the poor and he kept for himself all he kept to himself was a set of clothes and he set out onto the road like the littlest hobo. He embarked on all of the activities that a saint should do. He made pilgrimage to Rome on multiple I occasions. Mean, I didn't think you were going to say that a saint should do. I thought you were just going to be like that, like you would do if what? you went travelling. Yeah. Long, <laughs> just around, um... he, he, roamed to, he went to Rome quite a few times. He spent some years as a shepherd. And unsurprisingly, he was a good shepherd. Why would people just be surprised that he wouldn't be a good shepherd? I don't understand. Yeah, an ugly person that can look after sheep. Well, he wasn't, see, the thing is, he wasn't always ugly. He was actually quite a good looking chap. And he lived with this rich woman who he was the shepherd to. And I imagine he got up to some naughty shit with her. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say so. She probably used him as a, you know, a wee young buck. He thought he, now this is a weird thing about him, right? So while he was tending the flock of not just that woman, but his, his actual sheep, he contemplated life mysteries and in prayer to God. He thought he had discovered the secret or had been gifted the power of being able to buy location. I really want this power. Do you know what buy location is? No. It's the ability to be in two places at once. Oh, that would be cool. So he was often seen looking after his sheep in the fields and attending mass in the church. <laughs> okay. Why would they not think he was some sort of wizard then? This gave way Again, to yeah, this is witchcraft. Yeah. It, yeah, why is that seen as normal? This gave way to a scene in Seaborg when villagers were presented with a never ending to do list. I'm not Saint Drogo. I can't ring the church bell for mass and be in the procession. <laughs> so why are they unattractive people? During one of his many pilgrimages where he went up, like, I think he went to Rome about seven or maybe ten times, Drogo caught an unpleasant disease that caused him to suffer from pus-filled boils and hideous deformities. So he became so ugly that the villagers didn't want to look on his absolutely disgusting face. So they built a small cell for him adjacent to the church. But then he's got the ability to appear two places at once, so could he not just troll them by hiding in his cell and then by locating outside of that to annoy it, like disgust everyone. <laughs> yeah, I would. They even they built him a small hatch going into the church so he could still be given his wafer and mass. And he lived in solitude because he was so fucking ugly for forty years. Isn't that um, horrendous? That's also <laughs> the fact that he was like sort of the like 
an actual saying in the town. People loved him so much, and then it's <laughs> unwell and affects his looks, and they're like, nah, burn him, lock him away. Funny you should say burn him because he is like the unburnt. As in he's called Drogo, it's kind of like Game of Thrones, isn't it? Yeah. The parish church in Seaburg one day set alight. St. Drogo refused to leave his dwelling because he's so fucking ugly. <laughs> he claimed that if God willed him, willed for him to burn, then it would be done. Do you think he was just like, oh my God, please just kill me for God's sake? Yeah, like I'm bored of all these yeah. people judging me on my looks. His house caught a flame and the villagers thought that Drogo died, obviously. But when it was safe to go into Drogo's dwelling, they approached with caution, terrified of what they might see. Not only his ugly face. I mean, I mean, that would be really cruel, wouldn't it? Not only is he really ugly, but then he turns out he like Freddy Krueger ugly. St. Drogo was actually fine. And the villagers rejoiced that he'd survived this terrible fire. But God forbid we look at his face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't look at his or touches, but yay. <laughs> Yeah, that's all my saints thing. So yeah, we're 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 heading we're approaching like an hour and a half of this. Again, I didn't think this would take so long, but yeah, saints. So saints. let's finish on who becomes a saint in the Catholic Church and is that changing? Mark, over to you. I, don't I, know. Know if you into it. I didn't look into it either. Well no, I did. I don't know if you did. Uh, I'm no. curious. Like who how I mean Ultimately, the authority is the Pope that decides, but there is, like, I guess it keeps a lot of people in a job because there's so many people that are under the Pope that in order for it to get to the Pope, it has to go through, like, a cast of hundreds before it's even considered by the Pope to be a saint. So under Pope Francis, he created a new charity, a category for beatification, which is the creation of saints. The level immediately below, oh, that's the level immediately below sainthood. Okay. So he said, those who give their lives for others, this is called oblatio vitae, the offer of life for the well-being of another person. And they don't even need to be Catholic or anything. It's just, say, like someone drowns saving a child. That would be his reason to beatify that person because he sacrificed. I mean, that seems like a better reason to make someone a saint than they think that they saw a floating heart and then ate a bunch of vomit. Yeah. (laughs) Like... It's more realistic for the modern age, isn't it? Because he's basically saying there that miracles are very hard to come by and they're probably not going to happen. So in actual, it's more of a miracle to sacrifice your life to save another person, like in a fire or something like that. Yeah. Which I, I think that's that's quite good. Martyrs, a special category of saint, also offer up their lives, but they do so for their Christian faith. And so the Pope's decision raises the question, is the Catholic understanding of sainthood changing? So he's changed it so that you don't have to die purely for the Catholic faith in order to be beatified. You don't have to be a Catholic. You can just, again, just be a kind person. and be a good person. Yeah, you, yeah you like that. To save someone. In the Catholic Church, a saint has a more specific meaning, someone who has led a life of heroic virtue. This definition includes four cardinal virtues, prudence, temperance, fortitude and justice, as well as the theological virtues, faith, hope and charity. A saint displays these qualities in a consistent and exceptional way. I don't agree about Mother Teresa, though. Isn't she about evil? She apparently mistreated a lot of people under her care. When someone is proclaimed a saint by the Pope, which can happen only after death, Public devotion to the saint called a cultus is authorised for Catholics throughout the world. process for being named a saint in the Catholic Church is called canonisation. The word canon, which is a lot of what a lot of people use in like 
oh that's not canon you know like in say like for instance yes. if you, like the vampire chronicles which i'm a big fan of if someone like like a lot of the films or the tv show is definitely not canon because it's out with what happens in the books they've changed yeah. it very much is. saints are given a special day called a feast in the catholic calendar before approximately the year 1000 or 1000 saints were named by the local bishop not the pope for example saint peter the apostle or saint patrick of ireland were considered saints long before any formal procedures had been established so they just declared themselves saints but as the papacy increased its power it claimed exclusive authority to name a saint. So there's four stages in canonization. Any group, any Catholic or group of Catholics can request that the bishop open a case. So you have to be a Catholic in order to nominate a saint. They will need to name a formal intermediary called the postulator who will promote the cause of the saint. At this point, the candidate is called a servant of God. A formal investigation examines servant of God's life so the those who knew the candidate are interviewed and affidavits for and against the candidate are reviewed. Now this I have a problem with because that would only apply to living witnesses then. So yeah. there's, there's saints, there's people who've been made saints like a thousand years after they died. How the fuck are you supposed yeah, to? Who are you interviewing? Who are you interviewing to speak for them? It doesn't make any fucking sense. I don't. I just don't get that. So if also, the candidate's writings, if any exist, are examined for consistency with Catholic doctrine. A promoter of justice named by the local bishop ensures that proper procedures are followed and a notary certifies documents. The proceedings of the investigation, called ACTA, or the Acts, are forwarded to the Congregation for the Causes of the Saints in Rome. This is what I'm saying. It's like bureaucracy. The Congregation for the Causes of the Saints is quite a mouthful, is large, with a prefect, a secretary, undersecretary, and a staff of 23 people. (laughs) I want a job. What do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be part of the staff of 23 people um, who are in the Congregation for the Causes of Saints, Mum. Okay. I I don't think it would be a terrible job. (laughs) I don't know. There are also over 30 cardinals and bishops associated with the congregation's work at various stages. The Congregation for the Causes of the Saints appoints a realtor, one of the five who currently work for the congregation. They supervise the postulator in writing a position paper called a positio. That's just this is ridiculous. A positio argues for the virtues of the servant of God and could be thousands of pages long. Imagine going through all of that shit, Mark. I don't think it is the best job, really. It's mm-hmm. like you marking a thousand page long essay. Fair um, point. The congregation examines the positio and the members vote yes or no on the cause. Yes votes must be unanimous for them to move on to the next stage. The final decision lies with the Pope. When he signs a decree of heroic virtue, the person becomes vulnerable or venerable. V-E-N-E-R-A-B-L-E. Venerable. Then two stages remain. So that's like, it's like the X factor. You get through the first stage. (laughs) Then you go into boot camp. And then you get to be the winner. And Simon Cowell is the Pope. Throughout most of <laughs> the two stages are beatification and then finally sainthood. I thought beatification and sainthood were one and the same. But so did I, I thought one like, I thought being beatified meant you were a saint, but you get beatified yeah. and then you get made a saint. Yeah, that's right. Throughout most of Catholic history, the canonization process was rigorous. One of the key figures in the investigation in the Vatican was the devil's advocate who functioned like an opposing attorney by challenging the candidate's holiness. 
This is the origin of the often used English phrase, referring to someone who takes a position to challenge another person to prove a point more fully. I mean, I suppose that's a good thing. Like, yeah. you can't just let everyone... Yeah. Few people have received the title of saint, although there are more than 10,000 that the Catholic Church oh, venerates. Few people. <laughs> 10,000. Yeah, but they're not saints or venerate. Um, even 15th century famous spiritual writer German Thomas a Kempis didn't make it through the process. His body was exhumed and examined during his case for sainthood. There are stories that were, that there were scratch marks on the inside of his coffin and splinters of wood under his fingernails. These, now this is fucked. These discoveries suggest an escape attempt after being buried alive. The issue would have been that why he doesn't qualify for sainthood, can you guess? It's because he didn't... Is it because, are they going to say it's because he didn't, like, want to meet God? Yes. He didn't peacefully <laughs> accept death as a saint should. So therefore he doesn't, he, he's um, basically booted out at the X factor of being saint. I'm sorry, but you're I'm out. <laughs> You've not gone through the next round because you didn't accept your death. <laughs> oh my God. In the early 70s, Pope Paul the six because it's v1 revised the canon of the saints to exclude those whose historical existence could not be verified for example saint christopher the protector of travelers was removed although many catholics still have him as a medal in their cars and stuff so they couldn't verify that saint christopher was a real person i would argue that can they verify that jesus was a real person (laughs) i don't know i mean i suppose it depends what you mean by verify doesn't it like there's well, there's no record of him being alive. Yeah. In 1983, John Paul II, who would eventually become a saint himself, he changed the waiting period from 50 to five years after the candidate's death. He also reduced the role of the devil's advocate. All right, so that makes it easier to become a saint then. These changes led to criticism, yeah, that the Vatican had Understandably, become... Understandably, the bit that we thought was a good idea was the devil's advocate. Yeah, I thought that was a good idea because then it stops everyone from just becoming a saint. And he did have critics that said that you're just making a saint factory. The quicker process, however, has not reduced the six-figure costs necessary for those who support the cause to fund an investigation and hire a postulate. Of course it costs money. So does that mean only people who have the means and the wealth can make saints? That's, I, don't, I don't agree with that. No. While the title of saint is used for all those who are canonised, there are different categories of saints such as martyr and confessor. A martyr has been killed for his or her, her Christian beliefs. A confessor has been tortured or persecuted for his or her faith, but not killed. If a saint had been a bishop, a widow or a virgin, that becomes part of their title as well. Hence all the virgins. <laughs> I've not heard about the widows, though. No. There's many, oh, I don't know. I haven't really looked at it. For example, St. Blaise is both a bishop and a martyr. Catherine Drexel of Philadelphia has the title St. Catherine Drexel Virgin. St. Catherine <laughs> Drexel was the second American born saint and founder of Xavier University of Louisiana, the only American Catholic university established primarily for African Americans. At this point, it's unclear whether a special title is associated with the new category of saint declared by Pope Francis, as in people who die for saving others. Miracles are an important part of canonization. A miracle is an event that cannot be explained by reason or natural causes. To be named blessed 
one miracle has to be proved as having taken place under the influence of the candidate for sainthood. This process begins with a person like yourself, Mark, who prays to the saint, who then intercedes with God, usually to cure an illness. The potential miracle is then investigated by a medical board of nine members who are sworn to secrecy and they are paid for their work only through bank transfer. So it's a rule to prevent under the table payments that could corrupt the process. It's like bribes. After the occurrence of a second miracle is established, the candidate's title will change from blessed to saint with Saint John Paul II. Right. This happened in the record time of nine years. First, and John Paul just changed all the rules so that he could immediately become a saint after yeah, he died. This, this is why I take issue with this. I don't. I, wasn't John Paul II a bit of a prick? Like, wasn't he the one that said that you know, like, don't wear condoms and yes. in Africa? And yeah, I don't know. I think he caused a lot of problems. First, there was a French nun who was cured of Parkinson's apparently, Parkinson's disease by praying to John Paul II. Then there was the healing of a Costa Rican woman from a brain aneurysm. Yeah, I, I really don't believe that at all. Martyrs have a different path to sainthood. They become blessed when the Pope makes a decree of martyrdom. After a single miracle, martyrs are raised to the glory of the altars, a phrase that refers to the public ceremony in which a person is formally named a saint. A new kind of saint. Given this complex history of Catholic sainthood, it's fair to ask whether Pope Francis is doing anything new. The Pope's declaration makes it clear that someone who gives his or her life for others should demonstrate virtue, at least as ordinarily possible throughout life. So you could be a complete and utter bastard and you save someone, but you sacrifice your life by saving someone. That doesn't qualify you because you have to be a good person throughout your life. So it means that someone can become blessed not just by living a life of heroic virtue, but also, oh, no, actually, scratch that but also by performing a single heroic act of sacrifice. Such heroism might include dying while trying to save someone who's drowning or losing one's life, attempting to rescue a family from a burning building. A single miracle after death is still necessary for beatification. So instead of two, it's now one. Now saints become can be persons who lead a fairly ordinary life until an extraordinary moment of supreme self-sacrifice. Again, like having to have a miracle after you die seems stupid because, mm. that, like the example you gave of like John Paul, mm-hmm. like they're both effectively meaningless. Like had yeah. he put his hands over someone's head and they no longer had like a brain aneurysm, yeah, that would be a miracle. But for somebody to say, "Oh, my brain aneurysm," like I, I was successfully treated after mm. praying to John Paul, like well, that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, and this, the, but they say that they get medical, like nine people, nine medics to verify it, that it was a cure that they can't explain through science. I don't know. I, I, I think even like getting paid via bank transfer, I think the fact they're getting paid to, and, and what are their religion? Are they Catholics? Because it says only Catholics can nominate. Or are they like, see, there's this program Evil that I keep telling you about. Yes. They, the the priest who the Catholic like church have hired to investigate miracles, that's what he does. He investigates miracles or decides whether there's demons um, or an exorcism is like a, a possession is real or if it's fake. He actually 
hires two skeptics. So one of them's an extreme skeptic, and he's like from a Muslim family, but he's like he doesn't he's not religious at all. And the other one is a psychiatrist. So they get in like a psychiatrist to see if it's a more of a mental thing than a spiritual thing. But ultimately, they're still going to be pretty biased towards like they're going to kill. Yeah. Like I just I still don't think that that would work because what if the priest says no I definitely think this is demonic possession and then the psychiatrist is like no it isn't it's mental how do you how does he how is he going to prove that over her yeah vice versa it's problematic and like yeah do all nine of the medics all have to like do they all have to say yes this one hundred percent is yeah medical? well like like it says earlier it has to be you know an unanimous decision. Because then that just seems that, like, realistically, if, mm-hmm. as you're saying, like, if you had a mixture of people, so, if, like, one of them was Catholic, one of them was some other branch of Christianity, one of them was um, atheist, bloody, bloody, blah, blah, blah mm. then they're not, there should never be an occasion where they agree it's a miracle, because if you're an atheist... Yeah. Like, if you're an atheist doctor, yeah, you might be able to say, like, I don't know... Like I can't quite, I can't pin down what the medical reason for this is, but at no point in time would you honestly say this is a miracle. But someone's commented under this article saying, "So if God's been telling me a cure to every illness, and when I read my Bible, it even tells me the cure itself right in front of my face while I'm reading, cause I of how doubtful I used to be, who should I talk to and try to get in contact with? What does that even mean?" I don't know. Read it again. It starts off making sense and then it doesn't. So if God's been telling me a cure to every illness and when I read my Bible, it even tells me the cure itself right in front of my face when I'm reading because I of how doubtful I used to be, who should I talk to or try to get in contact with? And then someone else. If you take the cause I because of how doubtful I used to be out, then it does make sense. But that bit makes Mm, it. No nonsensical and then another guy said there's only two comments under this a saint without canonization my grandfather Bokos Agha was among the one and a half million Armenians martyred for Christianity who were canonized on the 100th anniversary of the Armenian genocide in April six years ago his brother Haig Effendi had also been arrested in June 1915 but was later released, pharmacist being useful to the Turkish army. Emotions ran high as the two brothers parted in the prison when Bogos Agha entrusted the lives of his wife and six children to his younger brother Haig, knowing well he would be executed. Later, however, a certain Sabri Bey kept coercing Haig Effendi to convert into Islam or die like his brother and leave his sister-in-law and her six children to be deported to the Syrian desert. Well, Haig Effendi normally, nominally converted to Islam to save seven of his family and himself. To me, he had always been a saint, for he had saved the Artinians from certain death in the Syrian desert of Deir We exist because of him and have remained Christian. So he's saying that he should be a saint because he converted to Islam to save his family even though he didn't yeah. really want to. Hmm, interesting thought. That is. But I guess I don't know whether that was the case but you have to have money to nominate someone to be a saint anyway. You need six figure sum to pay all these people I guess. Which I don't think you should. No that's The Pope crazy. should be paying them because that, that, that infers that there's a bias and a corruption then. Yes and the Pope should be paying them because the Pope as the head of one of the wealthiest organisations in the entire exactly. time, so <laughs> Okay, I think we should stop now by the saints. 
never <laughs> said that because uh, we're coming up to two hours but um it, it won't be that long when i actually release this podcast because i need to edit a few things out like me freaking out over the daddy long legs <laughs> <laughs> no that was the best bit <laughs> and to be honest i don't even know where the fuck it is <laughs> which makes me even feel like more apprehensive i hate them let's pick a number between one and is it still 27 it is one in 27 i'm gonna go low and i'm gonna pick number three uh number three is modern day superhuman slash modern day witches with powers uh, right okay that's a weird one <laughs> these aren't been really challenging topics recently mark they have Okay, well, we're going to have to simplify that title because that's... No, that, that must be the title. <laughs> okay. Right, so modern day superhero types and people with powers. Is that what it was? Basically, yeah, like people with powers that would oh, have been... magic watches back in the day. Yeah, like the back in... The, basically what we've been talking about with the saints, like... Ah, yeah, because... have those abilities now. So, like, if, is there anyone now that can make a a cloak grow large enough to cover an entire kingdom right i feel like nowadays like you say if someone claims that they're seeing a floating heart of jesus that it would be dismissed outright by the pope yes like that's why they're having a tart like say it's like medical miracles not visions and stuff like that you know seeing the virgin mary bleeds from her eyes or something that's not considered a medical or whatever. It's I don't just, know why I'm laughing because that is used to be considered a medical, but I just find that <laughs> she bled from the eyes. <laughs> I mean, I suppose like you'd have to have witnesses. For instance, in St. Bridget, her witness someone taking her eyes out, putting them in someone's hand, saying, "Here, have these in," and then watching as her eyes grow back the next day. You would have photographic evidence or at least film evidence and then yes. you'd have to prove that that's not fake, which, let's face it, that's probably not going to happen. It's probably more likely to be aliens than... I mean, can you guess? Like, and, and I was trying to look up, like, evil saints, but I was there's got to be, like, evil saints. They can't be a saint if you're evil unless you're a saint, like, in hell. Like, the devil's saints. Does he have saints? I'm yes. What does he have? Dukes and Cardinals? Yeah, he's got Maybe Dukes and Cardinals. The and... other ones have got like the same titles as the church. Oh, you think that he would mirror the way that the... But then, again, does he? Because the church is basically organised by people, not God. To be honest, my idea of God and Jesus and not like God or a God is that they're just indifferent, if there is any out there. They're just indifferent. And they don't really give a shit. I'm I'm like HP Lovecraft in that respect. Not the racism, but the whole <laughs> indifferent horrors out there. The the outside is like a cold, indifferent, horrible place. Yeah. Of well, how would you explain feeling all warm and lovey dovey then? <sighs> yeah, I know I wouldn't I don't feel like I'm like although I do love again, not as racism, but Lovecraft. But um Yeah. But I don't think I don't really think of if there is a divine being they're indifferent in that way. I feel like they're indifferent in a like I feel like when he says indifferent he means like but if you encounter them they, they would like they acknowledge you but they don't care. Or, yeah. But Whereas I feel think, like if there is some sort of creative force behind the universe it's not thinking or feeling. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I think. Yeah. It's not got a conscious or anything like that. It's just. And maybe unconsciously created something. It's like a force. 
it's not anything it's not something you can pray to now you know people say oh you pray to the universe and the universe will give you what you want no it won't no <laughs> anyway on that note i'm gonna say cheery bye and i'm gonna say trudel pet bye, bye.